All right. Well, good morning, TDBC Church. Uh, it seems funny saying good morning. This is Friday evening, but uh, you'll be seeing this on Sunday morning. Um, I don't know about you, but I have been just really thrilled as we have uh, <clears throat> engaged in this study of going through Hebrews. Every single one of the those who have spoken has just been outstanding. And Josh's was uh, great last week. Um, the scenery was incredible, Josh. And uh, some of the thoughts you brought out were uh, really good. I trust as you uh, are, are um, following along that you will have your Bible along with you. Uh, it's just so important to have the scriptures in, uh, in front of you and studying it out of the word, um, your own Bible not just following maybe some of my uh, overhead uh, uh, papers that I have put together. So as we uh, think of this passage, let me go ahead and start reading it. And uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse 6, and then we will pray. So Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me. And for 40 years, saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. I'm going to pause there and uh, pray, and then we'll pick up some of the other sections. This is the first section I want us to look at. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have spoken. Thank you that you are not silent. Think of those 400 years intertestament time when there was silence. Um, think of when the word of God was rare. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us. We are not left in the dark. We are, we are given your instructions. We are given your presence your word to commune with us. Uh, Lord, you haven't turned your back on us. You have been speaking all the time. Even when Adam um, went his way and did his thing and was hiding, Lord, he heard you. You were calling him. And so, Lord, you're calling to us too. You know where we're at in our lives right now. And so your voice goes out into all the world it goes to us as individuals, and we are, we are the recipients, we are the blessed ones to hear your voice. And so as we look at your word now this, uh, uh, this morning, I pray that your spirit would speak to us, that you would touch us where we're maybe hurting, maybe where we're wandering, maybe we're doubting. Um, even as in this in this uh, account, we find people who have wandered, who are who just can't handle the uh, following 
your instructions. And so we ask this in, for your glory and for our help. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you can see on the screen today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I want us to think a little bit about uh, some of the context here. Um, I'm going to look at about four four different things um, before we actually get into the the uh, narrative. Uh, first of all, I notice it says, "If you hear his voice." Um, so the challenge has already been given in chapter two, verse one, and and Andrew uh, Meinzinger covered this so well. Uh, we must. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And in that passage, it talked more of people who are just kind of um, letting things slide and uh, not paying close attention. And in this passage, we're talking about people who actually rebel against what God says. So if you hear his voice, it's really important. The warning is given again regarding our hearing and our doing. The premise is that God has spoken. Notice that in chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So his his speaking to us is very important. Um, So the premise is that God has spoken many times in various ways. And ultimately, he has spoken to us through his son. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The problem is not with the transmission, but with the reception. We need to always remember that. The problem is not with the transmission. God has spoken, but with the reception. Jesus often used these words, um, and you, I'm sure, remember them, how often he said this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so the idea is, he has spoken, but are we listening? Are we plugging in? Even in Revelation chapter 2 and verse and chapter 3, he says he the, to the church that if we have ears to hear, listen, listen, listen. So we must pay more careful attention to what we have heard. The other idea in the if you hear his voice is, uh, is that the if condition began in verse 6, where it says, and we are God's house if if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast we have just been told of jesus being greater than moses in his faithfulness over god's house now the author turns the camera lens on us and challenges us to hold on to his faithfulness and to be faithful ourselves we like to have a faithful god but are we being faithful to what he has instructed us it would seem um, ridiculous to have a faithful God speaking to us, telling us what to do, and then we ourselves not be faithful to the one who is so faithful to us. The incredible privilege of belonging to his house is based on what Jesus has done, but it also carries a responsibility on our part of holding on to that fact when the going gets rough. The next thing I want us to think about is the how he uses the word today. Today. Today is not without, without significance. 
our attention today will have a great impact on our tomorrow. You know, I think we're all eager for today when it comes to our wants and our wishes and and our self-indulgence. But so often when God speaks, our default is not today, but manana, tomorrow, later. Now, Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 2, of this importance of, of the of today, of today. Uh, even remember in Ephesians where he talks about, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Take care of it today. And so Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2, that our reception, our what we do with what he says, is really important. He says, do not receive the grace of God in vain. I mean, you can say, you know, well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But that's not what he says. He says, don't receive the grace of God in vain. And he adds, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So it's dealing with issues today, now, immediately, not putting it off for manana. Notice uh, in Isaiah, he says something to that effect. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Um, I was thinking of uh, the blind man, Bartimaeus. You know, he, he picked up on that. It says, when he heard that Jesus was passing by, you know, he stood up and he shouted because he, he wanted that audience with Jesus and he knew that time was of the essence and Jesus was passing by. And so we want to think of that in the today issue. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Uh, we can't just blow him off when he speaks. Uh, he might not speak again. He might not touch the issues that um, he wants to touch in our lives. And so it's important for us to give him the honor and the respect and to call on him while he is near, not distant. The other thing I see here is do not harden your hearts. I need to, we need to think a little bit about what it means to harden your heart. To harden your heart. In the Old Testament, the Lord says uh, that he would give us a new heart, a heart of flesh, inferring that our hearts can become hard. That before we know him, we, our hearts were hard. And so let me look at, let's look at some of the thoughts here regarding uh, a hard heart and uh, the importance of our heart. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your heart. Your heart is important. And it says, why? For it is the wellspring of life, what you do with that which you bring into your heart and what you decide that you're going to go with um, will determine your life. So he says, guard your heart. Watch what comes in. Watch what goes out. What is it that's going to influence you? And notice some people who had hard hearts. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. And here we have the listening idea. As soon as we harden our heart, we don't listen. And he would not listen, just as the Lord said. And so our context of the verse says, if you hear his voice, the listening part is important. He would not hear. He would not listen, just as the Lord said. Well, Zedekiah was one of the last kings in the Old Testament. And it says that Zedekiah became stiff-necked and hardened his heart. And again, here's the word. He would not listen to the Lord. Jesus had a interesting thing. He was talking to the 
to the uh, Pharisees, and uh, one day they asked him if it was right to divorce their wives. And he said, it was because of the hardness of your heart that Moses gave you this instruction or this permission. Another time, Jesus was in the temple, and uh, a man with a lame, with a withered hand was there. And it says this, they set him up, and Jesus looked around at them, knowing what they were doing. And he said this, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent, and he looked around at them in anger and deep distress at the stubbornness of their hearts. And so our heart is important. It says, don't harden your hearts. And certainly these men did harden their hearts. These Pharisees, we'll look at that a bit later. The other thing I see in the context here that we need to talk about is the issue of rest, because they shall not enter my rest. I think it's self-evident that ever since man chose to go his own way, not his one way, his own way, instead of God's way, which is what uh, Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right to a man. And certainly we thought it was right. Adam thought it was right. Eve thought it was right. It looked good. Ever since we've done that, the result has always been marked by pain, disappointment, unrest, and no peace. Notice what Isaiah 57 says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea, which cannot rest whose waters cast up mire and dirt, and there is no peace, says my God, to the wicked. Rest and peace seem to be uh, partners here. Jesus talked about that. He knew that we would be looking for rest. He knew that we would be hurting. And so he tells the people, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest unto your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, the way that seems right to a man never appears a burden, but it ends up there. God's ways may appear a yoke or a burden, but they result in great peace and rest. So with that as a kind of a background, talking about a couple of those issues, let's look at some people who, <clears throat> who uh, back in history um, wouldn't listen. And so this is a lesson, our first thought here is a lesson from history about unbelief. And we'll look at its inspiration, its invitation, and its investigation. And so it says here in verse 7, So as the Holy Spirit says, that's the inspiration part. Mark twelve thirty six talks about David, and it says that the Holy Spirit, through David, um, told him these words about um, how can... My Lord say to my Lord, you know, sit at my feet. And so this issue of his, the inspiration is important. This is not just playing with words. This is God's holy word. And so he says here, it's in, as the Holy Spirit says, why does the Holy Spirit pick this choice, uh, these, this passage in Psalm 95, um, to speak to us? So it's important. Let's look at the invitation. It says, today, if you hear his voice. Um, I like the the first part of Psalm 95 because it's full of praise. And it ends with this question. Are you listening? 
Are you, are you enjoying him? It says, come, let us sing. Let us bow down. Let us worship. Let us shout praise to the Lord. But some people aren't doing that. I like John 10, 27, when it says, my sheep hear my voice. And the automatic, the thing that happens with that, the, the evidence of them hearing is that they follow. They follow, they follow him. Well, let's look at the investigation. First, we'll look at the resistance in the desert. And that comes from Exodus 17, 1 through 7. So, in Exodus 17, we see this that says that the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. And they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Now, they've already had this experience not too long back where they had uh, water that was bitter. And so that place was called Merah, but this place is called Meribah. Give us water to drink. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. <clears throat> then the Lord answered Moses, I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us? Now there's something interesting as we look at uh, the uh, <clears throat> as we look at this passage in in Psalm 95. It doesn't say. Um, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. Instead, it says, as you did it at Meribah, as you did at Massa in the desert. Well, Meribah means quarrel, and Massa means to test. And so here we have both of those words. They left out the Meribah and the, and the Massa, but they used the words rebellion, which is to quarrel, to fight, to be antagonistic, to be um, against what God says. And the last part is massa, which is to mean to test. And so he just says that, uses these the, the interpretation of those um, places. And then, it's, then we find out there's some evidence during, there's resistance in the desert. Uh, there is evidence during the desert, and there's consequences left in the desert. In Numbers 14.34, we see some things, and I want us to ask the question, why 40 years? Because there's two, there's two illustrations being given. One is the time when the water was, um, they were thirsty, and the second um, illustration is of their 40 years. And so let's look at a little bit of why the 40 years? <clears throat> why? Where did the 40 years come up from? And so it says, was, and so in, in this passage, look at uh, Numbers 14 where it says, remember the uh, spies had gone into the land and they'd come back, 12 of them, and they had brought back these huge grapes. They'd brought back you know, the land is in fact flowing with milk and honey, like God said. But they, ten of them spoke 
evil gave a bad report, and two of them, Joshua and Caleb, gave a good report. And the ten swayed the rest of the people. And so God became angry with them. And it says this in Numbers, Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years. The consequence of us not listening does affect our children, by the way. Suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert for 40 years. So here's where the 40 years comes in. For 40 years, one for each of the 40 days you explored the land. You will suffer for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. Now, was God angry before? And therefore he said, 40 years. It appears that's the way it was. But in the in the context here, it says this. Your father's testimony in the desert and for 40 years saw what I did. And so notice how Psalm 95, 9 through 10 says, Where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. Period. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. In the Hebrews passage, it says, Where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. Well, if you will change the punctuation and move it from <clears throat> from seeing what I did to the end of 40 years, you have the same exact uh, thought and statement. Though they had seen what I did for 40 years. And then it says, I was angry for that generation. Well, I'm not sure how that worked because the punctuation, I understand, is not in the Hebrew. And so... Um, Maybe the way it was read in the Septuagint or or in Hebrews there comes a little bit different. But the thought is still the same for 40 years. That's a long time. That's a long time to get it straight and a long time to be to keep God angry with them. So either way, whether it's the initial part of their disobedience or the continual part of their disobedience. I mean, you know as well as I do, when your children disobey... Um, the frustration is there, and there has to be a some repercussion for what has been done wrong. But you hurt, and you're angry all that time. I didn't want them to do that. They had there was so much more for them, and you so you're angry. And I'm sure God, all those forty years, was angry for that. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted for you. But you resisted, and you were stubborn, and you unbelief got you to this mess. And so therefore you have the consequences. They was left in the desert. Their bodies fell in the desert. It says that very clearly in both in Numbers and in Deuteronomy and in the Hebrews passage, their bodies fell in the desert and they didn't have any rest. Well, let's look at the next section. That's a warning from history about repetition. Um, so we have a warning from his history about um, unbelief, and now we have a, a more of a, okay, that's what happened to them, but history seems to repeat itself, doesn't it? Now, what do we learn from history? Well, no, it seems like we don't learn anything because we continue to repeat. So this is a warning from history about repetition. And so the first thing he does is there's an alarm here. Notice what he says. He says, see to it, or beware, brothers that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See to it. 
none of you. Notice how often he used none of you. Um, <clears throat> he uses it in verse 12. He uses it in verse 13 today so that none of you. He used it again back in, down in chapter 4. Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The possibility is great. None of you. The propensity is is also there. So he says, see to it. Where do we look? We look at ourselves. None of you, brothers. Where? What do I look for? A sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away. When do I do this? I do this today. I do this daily. I do this frequently. In 1 Corinthians 10, 6, Paul talks about this. He says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us, none of you, brothers, to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Now, the Pharisees were uh, notorious for, for hearing and not hearing, listening and not getting it. And so Jesus says this in, in Matthew 23, uh, 29 through 32. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build the tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, get this, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. I think sometimes we're in the same boat. You know, if we were back there, you know, if we were back there like these guys, man, and we could see the pillar of fire, and we could and we could see the manna every morning. You know, we would have done that. And the Pharisees said that, you know, if we were there, we wouldn't have shed the blood of the, the prophets. And Jesus tells them, hey, you're going to, you're going to do more than that. You're going to shed my own blood. And so we need to be careful and we need to see to it that none of us, none of us has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Well, let's look at Assistance and persistence, because uh, that's the 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 uh, the next part is the antidote. So the antidote to a to falling away, to having this hard heart, it says in verse thirteen. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So one of the antidotes uh, is this. And so this is assistance. It's encourage, to encourage one another daily. Um, in Hebrews, a little bit further on back, we will see about Esau. It says, see that none of you um, <clears throat> miss or come short of the grace of God and become like um, Esau. And it says that a root of bitterness grows up and by it many be defiled. Notice the the resistance of God's grace. We'd already read that in, in 1 Corinthians and and these people, Esau certainly did that. He resisted, and a root of bitterness grows up. And it affects many people. And so the idea of encouragement is to encourage, to give courage, not to discourage. And so when we saw when we saw the story of the spies coming back, there were two men who gave encouragement. And so this is what it says in uh well, in, in 
10.25, in Hebrews 10.25, says, Let us give, not give up meeting together as, a, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. There's that word, encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. What an interesting thing. He says, the day approaching. First of all, so today, if you hear, and then it says, encourage one another daily. And in this passage, it says, encourage one another as much as you see the day approaching. So that's a future day. We can do this today, and we can do this frequently because of a day that's coming yet. When going through the hard times, the desert part times of our life, um, we will have the the courage to face the, the future. You know, the, Paul says that it's been given unto you not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. And this issue of suffering is is important. And, and when the suffering comes, uh, I, I believe it was uh, Jerry talked about suffering in his passage. And so as we go through the deserts of our life, we need to be encouraging one another not discouraging. Notice what it says in Deuteronomy. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents. And notice what they said. The Lord hates us. Maybe that's what you feel like when things are not going like you want it. The Lord hates us. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And notice what it says here. Our brothers have made us lose heart. They didn't encourage. They discouraged. And one of the, the antidote here says, encourage one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And so look what, look what Joshua does. They, well, he says, they say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are larger with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakim there, Anakites there. Then I said, they said something to discourage. They said something to cause fear. They said something that caused them to go into their tents and cry all night. I says, then I said, this is the encouraging part. I said, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt. And he says, before your very eyes. Remember that? In fact, that's what it says. You saw, you saw, you saw, both in Egypt and you saw in the desert. So the assistance and the persistence is important. The last part of of this is there's an alarm, there's an antidote, and there's an affiliation. Affiliation. We have come to share in Christ. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ... How do you know whether you come to share in Christ? This issue of him sharing is really important. Let's look at the, some of the thoughts. Um, in chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, He too shared in their humanity. What was that like? That was suffering, wasn't it? That was painful. That was stepping down. That was emptying of himself. He too shared in their humanity, so that by that sharing he did something. He destroyed death. And him who holds the power of death and free us from the fear of death. And in verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, 
who share in the heavenly calling. We share, he shared in our humanity. Now we share in his heavenly calling because of what he did. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I like uh, what Hebrews 8.17 says. Now, if we are children, this is the sharing part. If we are his children, we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If, here's that condition again, if we, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also may share in his glory. So how do you know you share in Christ? Well, you follow him no matter what. You share in the glory. You share in the suffering. You share. Um, I think of uh, Paul. He says, I want to know him. The power, I want to Know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings. Do you want to do that? Well, when we are his, we will share. But this affinity, this affiliation, notice it says, uh, the next part here says, we're such suckers for the devil's line when things go rough. If you are the son of God, then why this desert? The desert was not a question, was not to question our identity in Christ. But it was where he and we proved our affiliation, our oneness. Notice it was after Jesus had just got through hearing the Father say, This is my son. The next verse says he was led into the desert. So we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. So we have fidelity. And we are his house. In chapter 3, verse 6, he says, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. This issue of holding on is really important. Some translations say if we hold on to the courage and the hope of which we boast to the end. Um, but it doesn't say it in mine, and it does say it here in the passage we are just reading. We've come to share in Christ, we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. And of course, if you hold on to it at first and don't go to the end, what benefit is it? You know, um, hold on to this. I'll be right back. And if you don't hold on till the end, till they get back, you don't know what the whole reason of your holding on was for the boasting the hope for which we have in chapter 6 verse 12 it says we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure in 1st Corinthians 15 2 it says by this gospel you are saved if there's that word if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. You've got to finish. You've got to finish the journey to see the glory. Notice it says the confidence we had at first. So there at the, at the, at the cross, great confidence, great glory, great joy. And then, just like we were going through James, Trials come, the desert comes, and we have to go all the way to the end. 
And certainly that's what God intended for the Israelites. Go to the end. Don't stop. And here they grumble and they complain and they blew it. So next we look at a question from history about identity and liability. Notice what it says. Three times he says these words. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Verse 17, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Verse 18, and to whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest? Obviously, it was the same people. And so we look at that. Who were they? The inquiry. Who were they? With whom was he angry? To whom did God swear? Their infidelity, they heard and rebelled. Their infidelity, they were sinners. They sinned. They disobeyed. The identity and liability, all those that led out of Egypt. I want you to think about that a little bit. You two and I, if we've come to Christ, have been taken out of bondage, out of slavery, out of, out of the oppression of the enemy, away from the fear of death. We've been set free. We've, God has made a way through the sea as it was, as it were, and taken us out of bondage. And then we're in the desert and man, we can just, we can, we can blow it like these guys did. They were all let out of Egypt. Not some of them, but these guys were all there. They were all going to die there because they disobeyed except for two people and their families. Their bodies fell in the desert and they were told they would never enter into his rest. What a sad thing. And so the writer to Hebrews is saying, come on, listen to what God is saying. Um, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And he gives this illustration from history of these people who did harden their hearts. Well, I want us to think of in a positive way a little bit about somebody who didn't. Maybe when you heard those words today, if you hear his voice, you thought of somebody who heard his voice. Do you remember Samuel? Uh, do you remember him as a little boy in the tent there? Um, and and God begins to speak to him. And so he thinks it's he thinks it's Eli that's calling him. And so he runs back to the prophet and says, did you call me? You know, here I am. And Eli says, no, I, I didn't call you. <clears throat> Let's go back to bed. So he goes back to bed and again it happens. Three times this happens and finally Eli says, you know what? I think God must be speaking to you. So he says, go back and when he speaks again, you say, here I am, Lord. And your servant, your servant listens. And so that's what, um, what I think of when we think of today, if you hear his voice. Samuel was just the opposite. He listened. Now Eli was the other way around. Eli had, had failed and his sons had failed so bad. Notice what it says in Samuel 3. It says, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And I love this. And he let none of his words fall to the ground. Is that what you do with God's word? Today, if you hear his voice, up. Or is it, oh, that is going to, I got that. I understand that. I'm not going to let that fall to the ground. And people 
run, understood that Samuel was a great prophet of God because of this. What do you do with his word? Today, if you hear his word, if you hear his voice. Well, I want us to look at Isaiah 50. So if you have your Bibles again, I hope you have your Bibles, Isaiah 50. I want to end with this because there was another one who was a better listener than any of us. And I want us to look at this. Isaiah 50 in verse 3, the last part of verse 3, it's 4, I mean. It says, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue. Sometimes we like to speak. And we go, wow, I, how do you get an instructed tongue? How do you know what to say? Well, the next part says, an instructed tongue to know the word that will sustain the weary. And this is, this is the part that's important. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. Before you can speak, you've got to listen. Are you listening? He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The Israelites were not teachable. The hearts became hard. They became stiff-necked. And then it says this, the Lord, the sovereign Lord has opened my ears. So if you will listen, that's why he says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I have not been rebellious. Now they had been rebellious in this passage. I have not been rebellious and I have not drawn back. Who's he talking about here? This is Jesus. Notice the next verse. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. What an amazing thing. He's not only superior to angels. He's not only um, better than Moses. Man, he's the better listener than any of us. He listened. He says, I don't do anything that my father doesn't tell me. And so I wonder about you. What a fantastic passage we have in Hebrews. God speaking to us through Christ. Are we going to listen to him? I hope we will. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful passage. Lord, to cap it all off with this passage about your son, Jesus. This one who said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What a contrast with the Israelites who blew it and blew it and blew it. And you had to, you got angry with them. Father, help us to be like Jesus, that you would waken our ear morning by morning to listen like one being taught so that we might have, we might have the words to sustain the weary in this world who are broken, who are looking for peace and rest, and that we ourselves might be recipients of that peace and rest so that we can give it to others. Father, thank you for your word. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.